Hey, Dylan Kelly here, host of the Wave Break Podcast. Excited to get into this episode, but first, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Are you looking for ways to incorporate SMS and MMS into your marketing strategy? Add marketing text to current campaigns. With widely successful transaction rates up to 481% higher, birthday offers are a good place to start. Send customers a birthday offer to the channel that's almost always at hand, the mobile device. If they don't make a purchase, send a follow-up text in two days so your message doesn't get overlooked. Get more campaign ideas and see how AI-powered marketing automation is changing e-commerce. Learn more at bloomreach.com slash waybreak. This episode of the Waybreak Podcast is brought to you by Clavio, the growth marketing platform most recommended by other business leaders. Listen, in uncertain times, you need to be supporting your community and growing relationships with your customers. It's going to be appreciated. It's going to be remembered. It's going to be shared. And in good times and bad, this type of communication that's open and empathetic with your customers is key. This is a key theme that we've been talking about at Waybreak. I've been preaching this on the podcast And when you're communicating with your customers in this way, the best way to do this is with email. It is and always will be one of the best channels for delivering communication like this. And what I love about Klaviyo is that email is one of its core offerings. And their personalization that you can do inside Klaviyo is just, it can't be beat. And when you leverage that personalization driven by a 360 degree view of the customer, these emails are going to feel more relevant and they're going to drive even stronger relationships. And Klaviyo gets it. They're not just, you know, some company. They understand how challenging it is right now for every entrepreneur. You know, it was hard to get your business off the ground and navigating these times is even harder. And if you're feeling overwhelmed with growing your business, know that you're not alone. Clavio is here to help you build relationships across any distance for your brand and create memorable and meaningful email marketing moments that last a lifetime. And that's how you build a successful e-commerce brand. And this is why I love Klaviyo so much, because they're on the same page with me and Waybreak. Is like, we're not just about making more revenue. That's great. But what this is really about is an opportunity to create an amazing community with your customers. And the best way to do it is with email. And if you're not on Klaviyo, you got to get on Klaviyo. Visit Klaviyo.com to schedule a free trial. That's K-L-A-V. IYO.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Wavebreak Podcast, the podcast where you go behind the scenes with some of the fastest growing brands. Today is no different, but before we get into today's episode, I'm your host, Dylan Kelly, founder and CEO at Wavebreak. We are a boutique email and CRM agency powering better experiences for brands like Nutrafol, Curology, and more. And later in this episode, you'll hear Ryan talk about how he really prefers to work with smaller, leaner agencies. And that's exactly what Waybreak is. Even though we work with some really awesome brands and clients, our model is completely different. We're not owned by private equity. Instead, we're owned by me. And I'm really focused on helping every client maximize their results and make sure they have a seamless workflow to match with our team. And that's what's made us so successful and be able to give every client incredible results. Even though it seems like Waybreak's a huge agency, we're actually not. We're super boutique and that's on purpose so that we can focus on you as our client and get you the best results possible. And as a result, we have unbelievable client retention and we do incredible, incredible work. 
increasing revenue with uh, by over 100% through email and CRM for some of the top brands in the space. That's the real secret. That's how we're able to do it. It's not easy. It's hard. I have to work hard every single week to be able to you know deliver on those promises to our clients. But we do it. If you're looking for a partner, reach out to us. Um, we're getting close to capacity again. And by the time this episode airs, we might even be there. But reach out anyway so that you can get to the front of the list. You can learn more about partnering with us by visiting wavebreak.co and schedule a call on our website. Today on the show, I'm really excited. I'm joined by Orion Babenzine, who is the founder and CEO at Joe Lee. You may have seen Joe Lee making waves either on social media, on your phone yourself, or throughout this direct-to-consumer e-commerce ecosystem. Um, Ryan previously founded the brand Greats, a pioneer in the DTC space. Greats was acquired by Steve Madden in 2019. And Joe Lee has been on an incredible growth trajectory since it was launched 18 months ago in January 2022. Um, recently, the brand had its first $100,000 revenue day, which is really incredible. It's effectively bootstrapped. We go into all the details in this episode. It's It was really fun to chat with Ryan after following his brands for years. There's a lot to learn in this one, everything from... You know, talking about the current state of the space to contrarian takes on those, you know, current facts about the marketplace that, you know, despite everything going on, Jolie continues to rapidly grow. How's Ryan doing it? He shares everything in today's episode. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Hey, Dylan. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really excited. Been following you for a while. Obviously, founder of Greats, now founder of Jolie, you know, really making a lot of waves lately in the DTC ecosystem with your new brand. So I'm really excited to to chop it up. Uh, I think a lot of people are probably generally familiar with you. But if you want to do like the high level background on how you got to Jolie, I think that'd be good to get us up to speed. And then we can, you know, dive in from there. Got it. Yeah, happy to do that. I founded one of the earlier what was then called a D2C brand back in 2014. Great really was the first sneaker uh, in the D2C realm. Halfway through that, I started thinking about inefficiencies of businesses that had sizes. So Great was a sneaker brand and we had a size, you know, we had lots of sizes. One one style would have 13 sizes. And there was a lot of lessons being learned around that type of business, which ultimately informed Jolie. But I, I launched Greats in 2014, sold it to Steve Madden Company in 2019, stayed on for about a year as the CEO, and then left and started working on Jolie uh, himself in late 2020. And we launched December 6th, 2021. Wow. And yeah, speaking of sizing, like obviously, you know, you can't run from sizing in footwear. But I'm just curious, like, was that like the number one thing that <laughs> frustrated you with greats? And that's why you're like, next thing I do, I'm definitely not doing anything to do with sizing. Yes, there was a framework that I created. And one of the things in that framework were size. And I was looking for a product that had a universal standard of one size fits all. Plumbing pipe in the US is standardized. So it's the same size plumbing pipe out of the wall in the US and most of the world. Whereas even foot like sizes in footwear, you might wear an 11 in Nike and a 10 in Adidas uh, and a nine and a half in some other company. So there is no standard. There's numbers, but they fit differently. And that's fit and size are two different things, like how it feels on your foot. Some people like it tighter. Some people like it looser. So it's a really complicated problem and one that doesn't, doesn't work great for e-com only type businesses, like selling a size. You know, you, 
if it's a new brand, you're going to buy two or three sizes to see which one fits and you're going to send the others back. And that level of inefficiency translates to cost, reverse logistic costs, restocking free costs. It's not great uh, for, for e-commerce. It can be resolved over time, but um, I wanted to sort of jump ahead of that and have a one size fits all product. At the time, I didn't know what that was going to be, but ultimately that turned out to be Julie. Yeah. And then it turned out like to have a really great, like the product also ended up having like a nice, like high average order value on the first order. And then also like <laughs> the repeat subscription on the back end. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds. Yeah. We definitely won on the sort of performance metrics of, of our business, but you know, we are solving a really, really big problem. Jolie is a beauty wellness company that purifies your water for better skin, hair, and well-being. That's what we do. That problem exists throughout the entire country, the water has chlorine in it and other contaminants that are bad for your skin and hair. To put that in context, there's 300 million showers in the US. So the market is, is really big. Everybody, and this was sort of surprising, the middle of the country, like we launched digitally and it takes like in general three to four years for D2C focused brands to sort of penetrate through, through the whole country. We had sold the Jolie to every single state in the first six months. And the reason is the water's bad everywhere and many people know it. And they were just looking for an elegant solution to sort of fix the water they're showering in. That wasn't this sort of ugly, big, bolt-on, chromey thing. And and Jolie is, you know, sort of a high style, elegant solution to a big problem. Yeah, I mean, it looks great and it works great. I'm curious, like, what was the the launch strategy? So you've been around the block, you know, you were around the first generation of D2C brands, and then you have this new brand that you launched, I think you said 18 months ago. So like, what was that launch strategy like? Because a lot has changed since then, you know, in the space in general, there's more brands online. Uh, the advertising landscape has changed. So I'm curious, like, what was the launch strategy for Jolie? Yeah, a lot has changed. And, you know, it's always been my belief, even though I was involved in sort of calling D2C V1. It's always been my belief that real influence and real demand is not created from a digital. And I think it's it's people that are influencing other people. Now, that may happen digitally, right? Like we might follow somebody that we really respect their opinion on fashion or health or fitness. And we discover them or follow them digitally, but it's a person that we're really like looking at. It's like, this is the medium they've chosen to communicate. We, I've always believed that. And I think as marketers in the last sort of call it 10, 15 years, we've, we've moved away from real world marketing and only focused on digital stuff. And I was like, we're going to go back to the old school tactics. We're going to get people to influence people. That means we have to connect with people offline before we get them online. And that's what we started doing. Just call them content creators. I, I don't like to use the word influencer for us because we believe everybody has influence to what degree is, is where the variance is. But like we just thought, hey, if Dylan had 100 followers, and I'm sure you have many, many more, I have no idea what you have. But if Dylan had a voice and his peer set followed his voice, Let's give Dylan a Jolie because if he talks about it, we believe at least one person in his network is going to go bottom. And we that was sort of the idea. Last year, to put this in context, last year was our first year in business. So 
January was our first full month, January 22, first full month in business. We had no pieces of content. By the end of the year, we had 5,000 pieces of user-generated content in one year, which is like a lot. It's just a crazy number when we say it. And, it, and we didn't pay 5,000 people to do it. We, we certainly seeded some product to do it, but it, what, what it was doing was generating this momentum where content creators were creating content and then customers wanted to create content and they wanted to tell they, their story and how easy it was to unbox and install and then what it did to their hair, what it did to their skin. This year we're on pace to double that. So if we're doing anything contrarian to the market, to the, to the best practices of digital marketing, it's been that. And it's working because we've been profitable since first five months of our business, six, six month six rather, June of last year. And we've we've been profitable ever since. So that is a big differentiator for many people that are trying to just find um, edge in their digital spend, which is very hard, if not impossible to do. Yeah. Like how do you even go about getting 5,000 pieces of UGC? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, we started with a list of about 1,200 people that we just like, built a custom, you know, an Excel sheet around. And then we started DMing people and we still do that. However, the momentum has reversed that. So now we're getting 40 to 50 people a day DM, DMing us, asking if they could get a Jolie and create some content and, you know, no, at no cost. So it's a, it's sort of a two way street now. And the machine has been able to sort of be set up where, we're servicing that demand of people that want to create content around Jolie. And that's how we're going to get to this doubling of, of content that we're not paying for. This is like, we, we think of this as an organic content created by real people. Are there some influences, influencers in there that are bigger and in, in instances we've had paid? Yes. But for the majority of it, it's just people that know they have a problem with their water, want to get a Jolie and and we'll, we'll make content for it. Yeah. And then when people are posting, are you just going and then like DMing them and saying like, hey, I like this post. Can we use this in an ad? Or like, how do you then go after you gift the Jolie and like get that creative and get the rights to it? Yeah, we don't always, we don't always get the rights or ask for the rights. Um, we sort of select what we believe is, call it just the better content. Most of that powered by how engaged was it? Like on their side, like the people appreciate this that we appreciate it um and then we'll use it to we'll ask for the rights and then sometimes we'll even give a little you know some money very like i wouldn't call it um astronomical fees but we we want to support the creative community so we'll give them some money to use it for some period of time but that's a small percentage of, of the content a lot of it, most of it we don't do that for got it and that makes sense i mean that's a lot of that's a lot of content to be, you know, one to one yeah, yeah. setting all that up with via Instagram DM. Yeah, even if we paid a hundred bucks for five thousand pieces, that's like a huge budget. So we we're not doing that. Yeah, um, no, that makes a ton of sense. And then like that creative, like you know, they're probably creating even better creative than like you know most agencies could even come up with because they're actual people who need the product. And then like I imagine you're taking that and then scaling it out on other channels. Like you're running like the typical, you know, paid ads playbook or what does that look like then? Yeah. We, look, we do plenty on paid. There's no doubt about it, but we really believe that the audience, the consumer is going to tell the best version of our story for them. It's the most authentic. We know we provide 
tremendous utility to our consumer. Like we literally have changed their life according to them in many instances. But if we create that content and say it, it just isn't as believable. Like it's true. It's just not as believable. And that's why we love the creator space, the consumer space or consumer creator, because it's, it's an authentic voice that we had no part in. If they, they're the ones creating it and they're the ones saying it and their peer groups trusted, right? Like it's about trust. Now that community that we have built has gotten so big uh, relatively quickly that it's now sort of overlapping. And now we're seeing sort of this outsized growth sort of everywhere because it's like you follow somebody and you saw that person and then you follow another person and then you saw it on that person. And then a paid ad flew into your life. And then you saw another person. And that is what you sort of you want. You want, you know, if you could have two or three out of your five touches organic, unpaid, that's a much better marketing strategy than the other way around. Paid, paid is a function of capital. Like it's not hard to spend money. It's very hard to create demand. There are two different things. Demand, I believe, is created through um, trusted sources, which generally are peers, and then you put some paid on top of that just to close the loop and make sure that they're seeing it at a, at a frequency that will get them to convert. Yeah, totally. And it says a lot about the product too. Like when it's that good that people are telling their friends about it. You know, I think there's so many brands who get caught up in like the marketing side that they kind of like miss out on the product a little bit or just like underinvest in it when it's like, you know, they could be seeing, you know, twice the results from the same amount of, you know, paid spend if they have people who are going out and telling three people in their neighborhood about the same product on a walk because it's actually, you know, making a difference to, to their life versus being another razor or something. That was exactly our point. It was like, Hey, let's, we can't measure this stuff, but if Dylan went to a birthday party and started talking about Jolie, and then two days later he had drinks with his friend and told that friend about Jolie. And then three days later went to, you know, a, a work dinner and talked about Jolie that will have real real influence that's real world influence we can't measure any of it we just know what happens why because it happens for, for all of us like you discover a thing that you like and you tell people about it they you, you're wearing a thing people ask you about it and you support it like i love these whatever it is that is the the lost art of marketing that paid marketing sort of it has forgotten about over the last 10 years. And we want to like bring it back. I think as an industry, we've prioritized measurement and deprioritized effectiveness. So just because this part isn't measurable doesn't mean it doesn't work. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because you can't measure it. I get that. But it works really, really well. Um, again, that's that's a part of our business that we're spending a lot of time on. And the results of the total business are profitable business, fast growing. So I think that's really the only thing we're doing different than many of our peers and it's working. I mean, that's a really great point. It's really scary to like think about it without the metrics. Like everybody wants to think, you know, how do we double the output to like double the numbers or do whatever, even if it's at the expense of the consumer in some cases, because it's just like, how do we make the scoreboard go up this month, this quarter, you know, year over year, whatever it ends up being. But um no, that's a really and and, and 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 here's what's proven over over and over and over. And every digital marketer that's doing this knows it. <laughs> your your CEO can't walk in and say, "Hey, man, I need you to double the business every month 
but I'll give you double the budget. They can't say, great, I get to double spend and double business. It doesn't happen. You double spend, but business doesn't double. It, it goes up incremental, and then you double the spend again after that, and it goes up incremental. So what starts happening is like cat balloons, profit goes away. It doesn't, it's not a linear exercise. If it was, it would be really easy. It isn't. So you have to start doing things differently. I mean, we've been doing digital marketing now as an industry for 20 years. And the one constant is the more you spend on digital, the more it costs you to, for a customer. That is That line has gone like this forever. So let's bring in some other tactics that are sort of call them old school, um, not measurable and really friggin' scary because of it, because they're not measurable, but total business should improve overall. If you're willing to stick with it, because it, it won't happen in a 30-day window. It's going to happen in like a 180-day window. So you literally have to commit to this scary thing and do a look back. And But I'm confident that it, it always works. And so how do you do that? Because you know, you're sitting here and it's like you've grown the company really fast and profitably while at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, relax and slow down. So like, how have you actually been able to pull that off? I'm not sure yet. When I do, when I write a book, <laughs> I'll let you know. Because <laughs> right now we're in it. I mean, we're just in yeah. this insane growth and fortune. And we're very, very fortunate. I, you know, in fairness, I think we've built an amazing product that solves a really big problem. So that we have that, and and many brands don't. We have a massive audience that is that we're really creating the market for. So we have little to no competition at this stage, although that will change. So that gives us some head start. And I've done this before. This is my second e-com focused business. So there was a lot of lessons there that, that are being applied to Jolie. And I think we are winning because of that. We there was There's less lessons to be learned in Jolie than there was from Greats, but all the lessons from Greats are being applied to Jolie. And, and, and because of that, it's winning as a company. And what are some of those lessons? Like, I know you mentioned, like, it was, you know, ditching sizing and then having a one size fits all product. Like, that's probably lesson number one, like, even just starting there. Uh, there, there there's so many lessons. Like, I can't even, I, like, we'd have to do like 20 versions of this podcast. But because I look at every small failure as the learning moment, right? It's like, I like to say the road to success is paved with failures. There were just a lot of, failures within great over the course of the five years and in spite of those failures because they weren't really failures they were like lessons i was able to exit the business to a publicly a a three billion dollar publicly traded footwear brand most people would be like that is tremendous success and 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 it was there's not a lot of people that have done that right one there's not a lot of people that start startups two there's not a lot of people that exit startups and then three, there's not there's even less people that start a second startup. So I have a, a a sort of big bucket of lessons that again, there's so many of them. There, there's too many. There, there's too many to sort of mention on on this podcast. But one of them beyond sort of how I define the space and the product and what would make an e-commerce business more efficient, one of them b- besides that was just like. Don't go where the puck is, like go where it's going, you know, like you have to sort of be ahead of everybody else. And I'm a contrarian thinker by nature. 
And our marketing strategy is directly correlated with my um, belief that everything online is not good. Like every dig- just because it's digital and measurable doesn't mean it's effective. So we do things a little different. Totally. Most of it's bad. I mean, you can get anybody to, to buy <laughs> with, you know, a certain size yeah. coupon. Like if I give you hundred percent off, like I could get unlimited sales. And, and, and think if you look at it, and this is, I used to, I, I say this a lot. It's sort of crazy that Facebook will charge you. Let's just say they charge you $50 for, to acquire a customer. You're selling a hundred dollar thing and you give Facebook $50 first to bring you the customer to sell the hundred dollar thing. The equivalent of that in the real world is you have a retail store and you stand out in front of it and you hand out $50 bills for people to walk in and buy something for $100. There's no fucking retailer in the world that would do that. There's not any, right? Because it's crazy. But in the digital landscape, that is the standard. You're paying this service to bring somebody to you to buy something. Now, it doesn't mean that it's all bad. It's like the unit economics, margin, you can make money on it. So you sort of you blend it all together. It's a marketing, it's a good marketing spend for, for many of us. But in real life, retailers would never hand out $50 bills to come to your store. So like that's the sort of like we have to balance this out. And just because it's measurable does not mean it's good. I mean, it's a really good point. I had a guy on the podcast a few weeks ago and he was talking about how like your real CAC is how much it would cost to pay someone with a sign to stand on the corner and like sell your product <laughs> one by one. But um, in terms of like thinking about, you know, okay, CAC, profitability, all that, like you're growing fast and the company's profitable. I think I saw a LinkedIn post or something where you're like, you you know, within like the first year or something, you already had grown it to like a million dollar month and something like 20% EBITDA or something close to that. Like, how do you think about this brand your second time around through the finance lens? Like, are you baking in like we automatically want to hit this certain EBITDA target and that's what we're going to do. And then we're working into it backwards from our marketing or like, how do you think about, um, you know, the financial side of the business? Because like you're saying, like, that's really like make or break for most brands. Yeah. We knew that we didn't want to raise a lot of capital and we, we accomplished that. We do not have any meaningful institutional capital. We knew that we wanted to get to profitability as quickly as we could. Uh, we didn't think we'd do it as quite as quickly as we did, but, um, we always knew we wanted to get profitable really fast within the first five months. From there, we just, you know, profitability started to sort of get better and better. And we grow the business based on a first purchase profit. Like that, that is just our rule. We have not relaxed off of that rule. Could we grow f- faster and lose some money? Yeah, we could. We actually could because we have a great subscription business and we, we don't have this sort of phantom LTV. We actually have a crazy, predictable lifetime value of a customer, at least within 18 months, because that's, a, that's only as long as we've been around. But we know what our churn is in 18 months, which is de minimis. Like you have a sub 3% churn in a year and a half, and that is unheard of. So we could acquire a customer today and spend a little more if we wanted to, but we just, we're just keeping ourselves honest and like, Hey, we're in no danger of not making money on first purchase. So let's just not grow any faster. We're growing really fast, by the way. Like the revenue we're going to do this year is going to be six and seven X what it was in our first year. And we did $4.2 million in our first year. So it's kind of crazy. 
That's enough for us. Bootstrap anymore? Yeah. You have debt? Not quite boots. We don't. Not quite bootstrap. We raised, you know, a little. We raised less than two million dollars, but um, some so people were like initial product development and yeah, yeah. It was for everything. It was for, it was for inventory, production, design, development. Yeah. So yeah, most people would say that's bootstrapped. It's you know, t- I don't consider it. It's still a couple million bucks, but. This episode is brought to you by Tidio, the highest rated customer experience software on Shopify. Tidio is the first software that enables small and medium-sized e-commerce brands to solve customer problems with a conversational AI chatbot called Lyro. Lyro uses technology similar to ChatGDP to answer four out of five customer questions, freeing up your support agents to solve complex issues. Lyro delivers personalized support to customers just as a human service agent would. The AI chatbot understands context and remembers previous conversations, answering questions with fluid, natural language. Maximize your support capacity without additional hiring costs. Automate four out of five customer questions with an AI chatbot. Be among the first to use Tidio's new powerful AI solution. Visit tidio.com wave and join the Tidio Lyro waitlist today. Link is down in the show notes below. Yeah. And then, so then within five months though, you're generating a profit off that, you know, despite that, I mean, yeah. most companies who raise $2 million probably wouldn't do that. Um, you know, be, be profitable so fast. It's like, Hey, let's just, let's, you know, model out this growth and then keep raising. Although the market's changed a lot this year. So it's not as easy to, you know, get away with that. But, um, was like profit always the goal initially? You're like, we only want to raise this small round. And it's like, we're building this thing to be as profitable as we can while, you know, having a quality product and growing fast. That was always the goal. And the, but the truth is, we thought that we'd get through the first year and not be not really be profitable, but close to profitable. And we'll like learn a bunch in that first year. We wouldn't necessarily need money, but we were going to go raise money. So the thought was we'd do the first year and then in the first quarter, year two, we'd go raise around. And that that was Q1 of, of 23. But we got so profitable, we just could fund the growth off the balance sheet. And that's what we did. So we never had to go do that round, thankfully, because I think it's been a tough fundraising environment uh, and will continue to be. So again, we, we just got there faster than we thought. And we're, you know, Thankfully, we did because I I wouldn't want to be out raising capital, even though our business is highly fundable and likely would have raised capital. We would have been able to raise one of you and probably could have raised because as as I've been saying lately, like a unicorn isn't a company that convinces a fund to value their business at a billion dollars with you know virtually no metrics behind it or any real reason. A unicorn today is a company that can grow a business profitably. There's less of those. There's less of those businesses at any scale, including public ones. Yeah. So, like, yeah, they, yeah, you're, yeah, you got valued at a billion dollars, and you're doing four hundred million dollars in revenue, and you're still losing money. That should not be anybody's goal, but somehow it became a goal to just I know, be and valued. How is that rewarded? Like, I could spend five hundred no million idea. dollars and make four hundred yeah. million dollars. I'm like, yeah. why is it working so hard to try to build a profitable business? So we like to say the real unicorn is a company that can get profitable really quickly and sustain it. Um, and we, we'd be one of those companies. Yeah, I love that. Speaking of like launching in January 20, was it January 2022 or 21? Uh, well, we launched a partway through December 21. 
okay. but it was literally like two, two, two weeks within the last of, of that year. So we, te- uh, we should probably just say we launched in January of 22, but okay. January of 22. December. Was it like, were, were you worried at all, like launching into a quote unquote, you know, recession or like, you know, kind of like, I feel like around March of last year is when everybody kind of started to like, you know, look around and be like, hmm, you know, are things changing? Interest <laughs> rates starting to rise. Like, were you like, oh man, and I, I just launched this new thing or like, how have you thought about that? Because despite, you know, all of these quote unquote headwinds, like the company is growing really fast and profitably. Yeah, no, I, I didn't think about it because that, that path was already set. It's like, all right, we're this is when we're launching, and the, we don't have control of the market, the economy, the geopolitical climate, the presidential race. We have no control over that stuff, and 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 I think a lot of founders get distracted with things that are way out of their control. Doesn't mean you should be oblivious to them. It means you should like dedicate a very small amount of time to it because unless it's going to help you with your business. It's just a waste of time, and it's usually an emotional one. And it's not very helpful. So we were just sort of focused on getting out the out of the gate and launching the business. And I posted this on LinkedIn too, so it's not controversial what I'm about to say. The first month in business, January, we did fifty thousand dollars in revenue for the month of January. Today or yesterday, we did a hundred thousand dollars in revenue. Yesterday, they're like. <laughs> The, the the growth and <laughs> my tactic of like just fucking ignore the noise, just ignore yeah. it. It is useless. And let's be maniacally focused on the things we can control, our business, how we execute. That's our business. How we execute is our business. How you know the presidential race is gonna wind up, I have no idea. But Let's wait for that to happen. If it starts to affect our business, we can react to it. But let's not spend the next eight months crying about it or worrying about it because we can't do anything with it. Right. I know. Like you never feel better after like doom scrolling Twitter or something like that. <laughs> you only feel worse. I don't use Twitter. I, yeah. Like we don't get involved in any of that shit. Again, like really yeah. complex social environment we're living in. There's a lot of risk out there in the world both financial and politically, geopolitically, all of which we need to be aware of at a level of like, if these things happen, we have some ideas on what we could do. But right now, let's focus on what we can do. And that's how we operate the business. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's just like tunnel vision on building the best brand possible. And you mentioned you're, you went from 50k a month to 100k a day. Well, yesterday we did 100K. So 100K. That's not quite our normal. It was hard to wrap getting, my brain getting, around the number because I was like, wait, to 100K a month. I'm like, okay, cool, double. Then I was like, wait, I think he said 100K a day. I mean, look, yeah. I mean, that's still yesterday, really impressive, you, you know, funding growth off the balance sheet in today's environment when, like you're saying, like a lot of people, you know, they're looking at the news and making different excuses instead of like, you know, really thinking like, you know, how do we communicate our product better? How do we get more people talking about our product and, um, you know, optimizing what they can control versus just, you know, Playing, play, yeah. yeah, we so th- 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 just to give you a different number, so like you, 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 it's clear. We did four point two million dollars in our first year. We did four point two million dollars in the first sixty days of twenty twenty three. So like we're we have quite crushed way, and the growth continues to get like. Again, yesterday we did a hundred thousand dollars. That's not our normal day, but if we're inching towards that being our normal average day. Uh, and I think within the next few weeks, that will be our average day. 
I mean, that's pretty awesome. And then in terms of like that growth, that's coming from like the mix of those organic people, your blend of paid, and then just like, you know, I, I noticed like the way you guys communicate about the product, it's just like, you know, it's not even like about the shower head. It's about like what's in your water and like why it's bad for you and how it's like step zero versus, you know, people go spend $300 on a face moisturizer. And then it's like, you're using, you know, just the shower head that came with your <laughs> condo or apartment and, you know, probably just undoing all of the good that that moisturizer was supposed to do. Dude, you totally nailed it. That's exactly right. Like people spend on average a few thousand dollars a year on skin and hair products and treatments. And then every day they get in a shower with like all this bad stuff and it like sort of negates the the products that they're using or it certainly doesn't allow them to have their greatest efficacy. So step zero is sort of our thing where, you know, if you do nothing, if you buy no product, at least make sure the water is in its best position to not damage your skin and hair. And, you know, we're now closing in, we just sort of, not closing in, we just passed 80,000 customers. We have 80,000 people that are using Jolie with a very positive experience. And many of them are now realizing that they need less of the products that they were buying. So they're actually saving money, right? They're saying, hey, I buy this really expensive hair product, but I don't have to use it as fast because I don't, my hair is not so brittle and I don't have to like, you know, use half of the fucking jar of conditioner every time I, I shower because the, the water is not as damaging as it were. So people are realizing this is not only just good for their skin and hair, it's actually preserving the life of the products they're using. Yeah, I mean, it makes it makes a ton of sense. It's something you don't think about until you think about it. And then you realize like, you know, what damage that's probably doing in terms of like being able to grow that fast at that rate in such a short period of time. Like, what does your team look like? Have you built out a team along the way this time? I imagine like, you know, from your experience, you know, like who you need and when you need them at certain, uh, you know, growth trajectories. That is a, that is 100% accurate. So our team is probably smaller than most people believe. Uh, especially at the scale of the business. But we've built a really elegant business and we have a lot of knowledge around how to do it. So that allows us to, you know, operate the scale of our business that we're at with less people than many first-time founders would or even venture-backed founders would. Because when you raise a bunch of money, it sort of it doesn't force you to make bad decisions, but it allows you to make bad decisions. And we have a very efficient team, certainly on the smaller side, and we get a lot we get a lot done with it because we know where we're do- we know where we're going, we know what we're doing, and we're really, really, really focused. And so how many people is that team today? and like what are some of the key hires you've made to be able to like you know not hit growth bottlenecks going from zero to you know hitting hundred k days in eighteen months? Well, you're probably not going to believe this, but we have a full-time team of three and we have oh, wow. about 15 additional <laughs> fifteen additional people on our support uh, team from, you know, marketing, customer service and social. But the core team, like the full-time team uh, of three people is is sort of unheard of. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty wild. So then the rest of the people are just like agencies, <laughs> contractors. Correct. Wow. So you just pretty much outsource everything. Is that why you think you part of why you think you've been able to scale so fast? Yeah, I think there's a lot of time wasted in making full time hires that are not are not necessary. Again, when you're 
given a bunch of money from a fund, there's this sort of idea that you need to go spend it and spend it really quickly. And that's usually good for the fund. It doesn't necessarily mean it's good for the business. It doesn't mean it's good for the founder or the owners of the business. And we don't do that. It's a distraction in many instances. The way we've done it, it just forces us to have a higher degree of output and focus. Some people enjoy environments like that. And some people don't. Some people need sort of padding around them and lots of things that can sort of like, they can deflect off of. We don't have that here. Again, it's not for everybody, but the core team and, you know, my co-founder Arjun and Charlotte, who was our first hire, everybody's on board. They know what this is. It's a super exposed environment, but a highly productive one, which ultimately is a really rewarding one if that's the type of environment you want. Totally. I mean, like it always feels good. Like the more stuff you get done, if you can move at that fast pace for the right person, like that feels way better than just sitting in a you know bunch of Zoom calls all day going through making sure everybody's aligned and um, you know, then doing it again yeah, the next a, hour with a different there's, team. There's a ton of time management that comes from, you know, bigger teams. At some point we need to add people. We will add more people to the core team this year. We're sure of that. Will we be 20 people? No. So, you know, it's a balance of what is the right amount of people? How far can we take it? We believe, you know, we can scale this business up to $100 million in revenue with a smaller team than most companies would simply by how we operate, what our lens is, how we, what, what, what our focus is on and the space that we've created. You know, I guess talk to me in two years. I'll let you know if we, we succeeded. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. In terms of the rest of the team who's supporting, are those people like independent contractors working solo or are they like more like agencies or the big agencies, small agencies? I'm curious, like, you know, people is always the hardest part of the equation. So I'm curious what you found to work for you. There, I would call them independent agencies, meaning they're small. It's, you know, teams of three or 10, like up to that size, not, not major agencies. Um, not that we have anything against them. We've just found that the the teams we're working with are the right teams for for us at this stage. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. There's kind of a sweet spot too, where like if you can get the founder who still cares about the success of their company, um, like the success of their agency, they're going to go more out to bat versus like, you know, the private equity owned company where you're like just another client on their roster. And, you know, they're just, <laughs> I've seen them do a ton of messed up stuff just to, you know, bring back returns to their shareholders, you know, locking you in a contract, then doubling the price just so they can show like doubling revenue when really they just doubled the price on everybody and stuff like that, which is messed up. Yeah. And that's, you know, when you get owned by, you know, a financial entity, they just do things differently than when you're sort of a founder led, let's call it marketing agency where, you know, our, 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 the founder of the agency we work with is our account lead. Like, it's not like he's, off like dictating what to do. He's doing it um, with a support team. That's really important for us, but it's not, it wasn't like, well, if we don't have a founder, we're not, we're not going to work with the agency. It was like, right. who are the best people we can work with? Like that was sort of what, what it came down to. And like the bigger the agency, the less involved everybody is. Because even if you're the account lead at a big agency, you likely have 10 clients. So it's really hard to do this at a degree of excellence that we would expect with more than one. So like we want to be the one 
Uh, and then you could have two and three, but you can't have seven, eight, nine, and 10. And big agencies generally overstaff or overstock their employees with too much work. And they can't do any of it to a degree of excellence that, that we would ask for. Totally. I heard someone the other day saying that they, um, at their previous agency, they worked on 17 accounts. Um, and I was like, how did you manage all that? And they're like, I didn't. Dude, I, <laughs> yeah, they did it. And that's the truth. It's like 17 accounts, 24 hours in a day. There's just no way you can do it to a degree that should be a B plus performance. There's just no way. Right. Um, again, I mean, most people of, can't even focus of, at, on one thing, let alone two or three. Totally. I mean, I think that makes a ton of sense. And I think that's really helpful for people because like, you know, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast, like they, they don't have the previous experience of running a brand before. So they're trying to figure it out on the fly. And, you know, they often get burned by those larger quote unquote, I guess you could say like name brand agencies because, you know, that ends up being the model because you don't realize like they're all owned by financial institutions and, you know, actually not founder run and, you know, it gets messy once you get into that. But in terms of thinking about that as a brand, like you sold your last brand in terms of Joe Lee, like... I'm guessing an exit's still on the table someday, or is this something that you want to, you know, run forever? Yeah, no, I, I, first, I don't think anything's forever. So no, that's definitely <laughs> not, uh, I would not answer that question that way. But, you know, we're, we're in, you know, we're a year and a half. So we are very early on this journey. However, we've grown to a scale. And by the end of this year, not even by the end of this year, we've already sort of gotten inbound requests from all kinds of interesting possibilities. We will continue to operate the business, execute the business, build the business. And if there's some opportunity that makes sense for us to sort of exit, as you say, we will. Um, but we're certainly not thinking about that as our sort of like, we must exit the business today. But and eventually, we're all doing this to sort of, you know, at the end, we want to all make make money. And the best way to do that is to exit a business. So the 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 when is the question, but holding on to this forever is 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 not the plan. Got it. No, that makes sense. And then in terms of like you know future of the brand, I know we're starting to come out on time, but it sounds like you've got a lot of exciting plans for the brand in the future. You've grown really fast. I'm sure more fast growth is on the table. But yeah, curious how you're you're thinking about the future. Yeah, you know we we have a roadmap of products. The first focus of our business or the focus of our business is to filter water as it relates to your skin, hair, and health. There's, there's three areas in the bathroom that we will have to solve. The first one is the shower. The second will be the bathtub, which we've already designed, developed, and we've just not produced it. And we'll, we'll put that out, put that product out at some point in the future. The third will be the sink because we wash our face in the sink. And then from there, you know, we think we have a really elastic brand. We've built a level of trust with our customer who's using Jolie every single day. They're, they're literally looking at the name Jolie on their shower head every time they shower. And when you build that sort of trust, um, which is indicated by the de minimis churn, right? We have less than 3% churn. So we, our customer trusts us and uses us and is, is not going to leave us. When you have that sort of trust, you can go into other categories. So we... We believe we can play in the CPG space. We believe we can play in the fragrance space and all things sort of, you know, hair specific, skin specific, sun care, all of those sort of tangential um, products that sit around the skin, hair, and wellness space, Jolie will go into. 
there's there's no question we will. The question that I can't answer is when, but we will definitely be showing up in those spaces in the future. Wow, that's super exciting. In terms of like, you know, you mentioning other categories, even like sun care, is that more on the physical product side? Is that more on like this, you know, skincare, body care product side? What does that look like? Yeah, hundred percent CPG. Like, like I can't wait to put out a Jolie, you know, environmentally safe, ocean safe skin uh, sun care product. Like, it just makes perfect sense, right? Our lens is water. Water is the scarcest resource resource on Earth. We're focused on as it relates to your skin, hair, and well being. Sun care is part of your being and your skin. <laughs> so, like, it really does. Like, it makes perfect sense to me. I think it makes sense to everybody when I say it. And then the question will just be, when do we do it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's awesome. I like the way of like looking at the brand through the lens of just like, you know, health and wellness in general. And it's like, we started with this, we're starting with water and just like, you know, as natural as it gets. And then building around that versus like, you know, there's a lot of different ways to build brands. And, um, you know, they don't always so focus like, you know, on the core, what's best for the consumer always you know, depending on who's backing it, who's trying to launch it. Um, there's been, I feel like a lot of stealth brands launched by like larger retailers to like try to appear, you know, better, but it's like the same old, you know, CPG giants. But uh, yeah, we, I saw, I saw a, a chart the other day. that sort of showed like the brands and the, and the, the, br- the brands and the parent company that owns them. And it's crazy. There's like five holding companies that own 90% of the space. Our brand is completely independent, named after my wife, Jolie, that was started in my head on vacation in 2018 when I sort of started to frame how this business would look. So it's definitely an outlier and an independent market maker. Like we are changing the way people, and this is something we fundamentally believe, we are changing the way people think of the utility of a shower. And historically, that piece of hardware was a device that sprayed out water. We are now saying this device has to spray out water and filter it because and over the next 10 years, we think everybody will have a filtering showerhead because of, it, of its necessity. You'll need it. The water is, is damaging. And the faster we go, the more people that will hear about that. So we think that's where the world winds up. Just like you didn't filter your water 20 years ago. And everybody either filters your water or drinks bottled water. So 20 years ago, it was the market was this big. And today it's, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. Yeah. And it's kind of like the cigarette example too. It's like, you know, what was something someone was doing years and years ago that they didn't realize was so unhealthy for them. And I, everyone always like cuts to social media, but like, you know, if I had to answer for myself, it's even like water that you shower in, like, you know, to think about like that to be normal, to be filtered in the future um, when it was like so normal to not. Um, I mean, it's crazy. Even just looking at like maps of like, you know, where people get cancer versus other places. Like I remember like a specific neighborhood where I grew up, like multiple kids in high school, you know, got really bad fatal cancer diagnosis. And it's like crazy to think and it, but it's like all in the same neighborhood. And it just really makes you think about, you know, even just like where you live in the water and like how much yeah. it really affects you. And industrialization in general, I'm going to use it generally, is the cause of that. Like power lines went up and like 
the the farming industry started like pumping in you know all kinds of chemicals into the ground and into the soil and into the the feed and the cattle themselves and ultimately that took a toll on both the environment and the people eating or drinking from it so um this is why these things need to be corrected yeah i mean it's huge and then last question for you like you mentioned you know you're only three people you're running this brand do you sleep or how do you <laughs> how do you get everything done? I dude, I, I mean, according to my whoop, I sleep pretty well. Um, and nice. I also have an 18-month-old baby. So th- the the baby has taken up more of my sleep uh than the startup. But um two 18-month-olds. Two, yeah, d- which I do not recommend. Do not start a business and have a baby at the same time. That is a horrible <laughs> idea. Uh I can guide you through how to not do that. <laughs> I love it. I like how you can track their age at the same time. So you'll be able to compare the milestones. (laughs) Yeah. It's a a cool uh, alignment, but uh, I would definitely not do it that way again. (laughs) What would you do in hindsight? I would have delayed (laughs) launching Jolie another six months so I could have caught up a little bit. But in the end, it all worked out like I'm joking. But, um, you know, I, I think we're really fortunate that We've been able to build a profitable business the way we've done it. And I think the way is really critical because we're in total control of our destiny. We don't have to deal with sort of the the bad market. I I have a lot of friends and peers uh, that are really struggling to raise capital and it's really hard and they have good businesses. It's just a market condition. You know, I empathize with them, but we've been really fortunate and we're just going to continue to execute. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, but I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and like share your take and, you know, the way you're building and growing a brand profitably, fast, you know, really focused on, you know, not kind of like the normal playbook and instead focusing on the customer, um, you know, creators creating that content and, um, you know, being a case study for like a different way and, you know, just to focus and get it done and, you know, see on the other side. So, I really appreciate you coming and sharing that perspective. For people who want to learn more about Jolie, where can they uh, do so? Uh, they can go to jolieskinco.com, www.jolie, J-O-L-I-E, skinco.com. Amazing. We'll link that up down in the show notes below. Ryan, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks, Dylan. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wavebreak Podcast. If you're not subscribed on iTunes or Spotify, go hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you're not on our email list, go sign up at wavebreak.co slash join. You'll join other e-commerce leaders at brands like Skims, Cartier, and Walmart, and thousands more learning exactly what's working in e-commerce right now. You won't want to miss it. Sign up at wavebreak.co slash join. It's free. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Waybreak Podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day.